You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Gracious God, we ask you to make it clear to us how taking up our crosses may be good news through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good afternoon, and let me say that it feels a little bit like coming home being here at the Cathedral Church of the Advent. I'm sorry I wasn't here yesterday. Uh, the third nor'easter in two weeks up in Massachusetts uh, made the plane flights a little difficult, but I'm glad to be here now. A number of you have become wonderful friends uh, over the years, and I've had a, the real privilege of counting your last three deans, Paul Zoll and Frank Limehouse and Andrew Pearson, as wonderful colleagues and as mentors. And now in my retirement, I'm helping out part-time at Calvary St. George's Church in Manhattan. And that's a church with a lot of ties to this cathedral. Those of you who know Jay Gardner, he sends all sorts of love to all of you. Um, he's got a new baby named William who's wonderful. And we hold all of you uh, in our prayers up there in Manhattan with great thanks for your witness to God's grace in this part of the world. Uh, I told somebody that I was going to be preaching down here on taking up your cross, and he said, oh man, I'm not going to like that sermon. So um, let me say where it comes from, which is a portion of Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 8, uh, verses 31 through 36. Let me just read these for you. Jesus began to teach the disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and after three days rise again, he said this all quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, but turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then he called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Some time ago, I was looking through the guest book uh, at the back of the church where I used to serve in Springfield, Massachusetts. And sitting on top of the guest book was an envelope with a handwritten note inside it. And the note was a prayer to God. And it was written by somebody named Diane, who I assume had wandered into church in the middle of the week to just sit quietly. Diane's prayer said this, Dearest God, I have tried over and over again, and I cannot be as good as I'm expected to be. I have failed you in all ways except one. I still believe in your love. Help me, please. Diane, I cannot be as good as I'm expected to be. I wonder if you can hear in those words the cry over a separation, some great separation, this pain of a separation between who she is and who she thinks she needs to be 
in order to be loved. I wonder if you could hear an echo of Diane's cry also in the words of the hymn that we just sang. In the third verse, we sang these words. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Well, I love God, but the bent of my nature, the DNA of my unredeemed spirit, makes me prone to wander, makes me prone to leave, makes me prone to live with this separation between who I know myself to be, because I got a backstage view of myself, and who I think I need to be in order to be loved. Can you also hear an echo of Diane's prayer in the passage from Mark's Gospel that I just read? This is a scene which is about Jesus hearing Diane's prayer and doing something about it. It's all about, also, our old friend St. Peter hearing Diane's prayer and giving Diane the exact wrong response. Now, you remember just before the scene opens, Peter has this amazing revelation. Jesus says to the disciples, who am I? And they don't know, but suddenly... In a brilliant flash of apprehension and comprehension, Peter says, you are the Messiah. But then, in today's scene, the plot thickens because Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to suffer and be rejected and be killed and rise again. And then comes this verse. He said this quite openly. Jesus doesn't want any followers under false pretenses. He spells it out. He's the Messiah, and he's come to die. And what does Peter do? He grabs Jesus, he takes him aside, and he tries to reason with him. Because all of his life, Peter has equated the idea of Messiahship with control and with power. And so this insane equation of Messiahship with dying and suffering is so incomprehensible that Peter doesn't just reason with Jesus, he gets angry at him. He says, Jesus, you may be the Messiah, but you've got some things to learn about your job. And how does Jesus respond? He looks his best friend straight in the eye, and he calls him Satan. He says, nothing is more important than the death of the Messiah. It is God's will for the Messiah to die. Jesus is anointed to die. And then, in order to make sure that Peter's arguments haven't influenced and infected the other, Jesus gets all of his disciples together and he makes this statement. If any of you want to become my followers, then you need to deny yourselves and take up your crosses and follow me. Now, When Jesus says, take up your cross, he is not inviting you and me to endure, like a stoic, bad things happening to good people. This command is much more devastating than that. Jesus is talking here about denying our very selves. He is talking here about you and me dying on a cross of love for others. And the point is very simple you and I are unable to follow this devastating command. We cannot, in the deepest sense, deny ourselves because we would therefore die. And we cannot, in the deepest sense, take up our own crosses because we would therefore be crucified. 
Or if we could do it, it would be for somebody we love, our child or our spouse. But think of somebody that you don't particularly like, maybe can't stand. Deny yourself for that idiot? Throw yourself in front of a bus for that jerk? Take a bullet for that really awful person? So, in fact, this command is finally not a command. It is a description. It is a description of life in God's kingdom, but it's not a prescription on how to get there. It's a description of the life in God's kingdom in which the self has actually begun a little bit to move away from the center. It's a description of life in God's kingdom in which we begin to be so gripped and so overwhelmed by God's love for us that a cross-like love begins to enter our spirits as well. The prescription for how to get to this kingdom of God is given by St. Paul when he says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, who loved us to to deny himself for us, who loved us enough to take up his cross for us, who loved us enough to become a crucified Messiah for us, who loved us enough to rise again as a resurrected Messiah for us. What a wild paradox that we're invited to rejoice in bearing crosses. And here is a little picture of how that may be. During World War II, a young Jewish husband and wife had a baby, and the baby's name was Jane. And they lived in France. And the fateful day finally came when Jane's mother and father, along with hundreds of other Jews, were driven into the streets and herded toward the train station, where the cattle cars were waiting to take them to the death camps. And the sidewalks were filled with French citizens looking on. And at one point, the young mother found herself on the edge of the crowd near the side of the road. And suddenly she made eye contact with a woman up ahead, a French woman who was standing on the sidewalk. And as she drew close, Jane's mother suddenly said in a fierce whisper, Take care of my baby. And in an instant, the French woman's coat opened. Jane was passed from one set of arms to another. The coat closed over Jane. And the mother and father continued down the street together to disappear forever into the oblivion of the gas chambers. The woman with the coat quietly melted into the crowd. She took Jane home, and she raised Jane as her own. And when Jane was old enough, the mother told Jane the story of her real mother and father. And when Jane became an adult, she moved to western Massachusetts. And she chose an occupation that allowed her to serve others in need. And among those others were two members of my church, a woman named Sarah 
and her special needs daughter named Rachel. And whenever Sarah and Rachel were ever in need, the first person at their door, with open arms and with love, was Jane. When Jane's second mother opened her coat with the Nazis near at hand, when Jane's second mother opened her arms to receive the baby, when Jane's second mother took Jane and closed that coat, she was taking up her cross. And as Jane received such costly love from that second mother, she too was transformed. She was molded into someone for whom bearing a cross meant life and joy and love and peace. And here's the thing. Those arms that took that baby, those were the arms of the crucified and risen and living Lord Jesus. And that baby that was passed, that was you. That was me. So, Diane, the writer of that prayer at the back of my church, Diane, wherever you are today, thank you for that prayer. Because all of us here at the Advent today are joining you and struggling all over the place with separations in our lives. And all of us, Diane, want to invite you, wherever you are, to come with us in walking together the rest of this Lent. And we invite you in the sure and certain hope that at the end of this Lent, we are going to find, as we never have before, the arms of Jesus wide open to receive us. God bless every Diane in this place right now. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for your son Jesus opening his arms to take us in. Thank you for those arms spread wide apart on the cross to cover us and to welcome us home as we are. I pray, Lord, for all of us as we move toward the end of Lent and Holy Week that we may find your living Son welcoming us home. Be kindly affectioned one to another. Remember whose you are. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you this day and forevermore. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.